Hi, this is Annie Fox with Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Dr. O, a.k.a. the Teen Doc. Dr. O is an adolescent medicine physician or a teen doctor. She's also an educator and the author of Are You Serious? It's Just Sex? The 17 Most Frequently Asked Questions by Parents of Teens. Hi, Dr. O, and welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, thank you, Annie, for inviting me. That was so kind and generous of you. Oh, my pleasure. I've been a fan of your work, and anybody who calls herself the teen doc <laughs> is someone who heals and helps teenagers, which is exactly what I do as well. So um, today we're going to be talking about kind of not a medical thing that you do, but more about um, helping kids understand who they are in relation to other people, how to treat other people. We right. want to talk about empathy today. So right. can you give me a definition of empathy? You know, empathy for me has always been about understanding and um, really putting yourself in the shoes of whomever you're interacting with. And so really that's the crux of what my methodology is all about. So let me ask you this. Are kids born empathetic? Uh, we are born perfect. So yes, we are definitely born empathetic. And it is essentially our surroundings, I really feel that they make us forget how empathetic we are. Ah, okay. So we're wired to be empathetic. We are absolutely wired for it. So it shouldn't be too difficult then to uncover the garbage that's mucking up the wires? Right. Right. You, not, you hope it's not too difficult, but I think sometimes the older you are, the harder it is to remember. Um, and so sometimes what it is, it's about getting somebody back to that original state, that, that uh, newborn state, if you will, you know, that most pure state. Um, and then they become the most empathetic uh, that they can be. Now, you're a medical doctor, correct? Correct. And you see teen patients in a medical clinic, correct? Exactly. Exactly. So, so how do you fit in this empathy stuff in the clinic? Right. right. So, you know, it was an interesting thing that happened in um, medical schools where somebody once told me that you could be the brightest uh, physician, but if you couldn't get the patient to tell you anything, then really it was for naught. And, and that just little piece of information stuck with me forever. But then I realized patients wouldn't actually talk to you if you didn't seem warm enough for them to actually open up to. All right. So click number two. Uh, and so what ends up happening is in the in the clinic, I go through great strains to even though I have to write on the computer and I have to do all this stuff on the computer, really establish eye contact and really actually listen. I think one of the things that I hear most often after my visit or that somebody will I'll overhear say to their parent um, or vice versa is, wow, she really listens. <laughs> so it actually ends up that I don't do a lot of talking. I actually do a lot more listening. And then based on what they say, I repeat that back to them. So really good mirroring as well, uh, which is just a fancy term for echoing back what somebody has said so that they know you heard them. And so that means I listened, which generally tends to mean for them that I empathize a lot better. This is really interesting for me because that comment, wow, mom, she really listened as if it were a rare thing. Correct. And 
that's sad. That makes me yeah. feel sad yeah. that yeah. young people or people of any age um, find it a rarity when they're with someone who's actually listening. So yeah. why do you think that's so rare? You know, I think that what we do is as we get really busy, um, something um, Eckhart Tolle talks about is that we become unconscious. And when we become unconscious, we have all these things floating through our heads rather than really focusing on what somebody is saying when they're talking to us. So we do that combined with assumptions about what they're going to say, um, our own opinions about what that we think or who we think they are, and we sort of complete the sentence for them. We don't actually allow them to complete the sentence. And so in, you can see how there's no mirroring involved there, <laughs> and there's no sort of saying back what somebody just said. So that in terms you end up um, really sort of assuming what somebody was going to say or do or had planned rather than actually understanding what they were actually going to say or do. And so I think that because we tend to do that a lot, we, we lose the ability to empathize and listen. Oh my gosh. Well, if it's the way you say it is, and I believe that it is, mm-hmm. um, you might as well just be phoning in a friendship, Correct. literally, because Correct. you don't need, you feel like you don't need to be there. You know, I, I talk to school groups a lot and I ask kids open-ended questions and they all want to raise their hand and tell me what they think. And when I'm answering someone who's just raised their hand, the rest of the kids are waving their hand. And I said, okay, I only have one rule here. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in a group and someone's talking and I've got my hand like this, what I'm really saying to myself, if there were a bubble of my head is, I hope she shuts up quick because I want to say what I'm saying. So when you waving your hand, what you're telling me is, I'm not listening to her. Pay attention to me. And then all of a sudden they all put their hands down and you need to remind them, hey, we're here to listen to her now. You'll get your turn. So I think there's a competitive thing going on here with a lot of kids, especially in groups, when they're not really listening, but you would hope that in a one-on-one friendship, mm-hmm. that we, we would be better at that. Again, you think the assumption thing takes over, fill in the blanks like I, that? I do. I think, you know, and th- th- their parents have modeled that for them when oh. they're looking at a phone while somebody's talking to you, right? <laughs> that is definitely not eye contact listening. So, you know, they're sort of seeing this multitasking sort of generation. And, I, and I'm definitely not saying that I don't do that. But I think that there are times where you can and cannot do it. And um, we're not sort of mindful of somebody in front of us wanting to feel valued by being heard. And so this is the way I sort of sneak it in that how you treat each other and how I want you to have this standard of how people should treat you and how you should treat other people as well. Because so, you're saying, watch how I treat you and, and experience correct. how it feels correct. to be listened to. Correct, correct. And these are the first stages of intimacy as well, because I do a lot of, you know, sexual health uh, talks. And, you know, in the beginning, I used to be a lot more factual about it. Like, okay, this is this, this is that, this is where this goes. And then I started <laughs> realizing, like, you know what? You can, for all intents and purposes, look that up. What you cannot look up is somebody asking you about the intimacy. And so this is also a backdoor into intimacy, you know, about feeling heard and feeling connected. And, you know, that's sort of how I get into more like the foreplay part. What is it about foreplay that becomes so confusing for boys and girls? It's that girls are all of a sudden feeling heard in some ways. And guys, even if the guy is thinking, when's this going to be over so I can do the other part, you know? So, but, but, I, but I explain in that little fell swoop what the confusion is. The guy saying she wanted it and the girl saying, well, 
I didn't exactly want it, but I liked where we were, you know? Yeah. So that sort of miscommunication is because she wanted the intimacy. Yeah. And so in trying to get guys to understand that I know your, your dad or your mom may not have given you the sex talk, but if she had, like if my fantasy had come true and your mom had given you the sex talk and she had explained to you as the first woman you fall in love with, right? What feels good you might have been more mindful of what to do with other people, other women, you know? So these are my back doors into explaining that kind of intimacy, ergo connection, right? Because that's really what makes their legs so wobbly, the connection. Literally. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they'd rather have sex than have to talk about any of the other stuff. It seems easier. Okay, so what you're talking about is social-emotional learning. Yeah. Um, and it's also moves into the realm of character education, which is something that, you know, is just kind of the cornerstone of my work. When you see your patients, do you see them on an ongoing basis so that you can check in with them and have continuing little, um, backdoor chats about this other non-medical stuff? You know, it's interesting. I don't always get to. So sometimes all I have is that visit. You know, all I have is that physical. All I have is that you came in for the sprained ankle. And so, you know, I, I've got an agenda, <laughs> right? I definitely want to get make you better. But I also want to drop any kind of little seed that will allow you to build upon it once you leave. You can always come back if you feel like I'm a great resource for you or, and you know, now with medical emailing and all that stuff, it becomes really easy to ask a question. But um, what I'm trying to accomplish is more than just the, the physical healing. I'm absolutely trying to get them on track to like a, a spiritual and emotional healing as well in, in that brief visit. And, and do you have opportunities to talk to parents about this missing piece and their role in their son or daughter's education? Yes, absolutely. So this becomes a really key part about what I can do, right? So the, the teen is, uh, is, can feel empowered, but if you, if you trap them too much into their concrete thinking that I'm helpless because my parent is in charge, then uh, you know, that really sort of makes them very narrow-minded. So yes, I have to recruit the parent in and explain, you know, this is what I think your, your teen is really saying when they do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Gary Chapman and his five languages of, of love. And, uh, and so sometimes what I, I do is I actually figure out the, the love language and communicate that to the parent and explain, this is why it's not working what you do, because what you're giving your teen is what you want. Not what your teen actually wants. And so I actually give them that secret and then allow them to connect with their teen a little bit better. And that allows the teen to to sort of relax and calm down and the connection improves. Oh, it's so important what you're doing. And I I really applaud you. I I feel sometimes very frustrated when teens, teens are mostly the ones who write to me. And like you, I get one shot. It's it's an email exchange or it's a question during a school assembly. Correct. And I give them a kernel of a seed of something that's a tool that and, and you hope, yep. you know, you hope that they're going to work it. with it. Um, a young man emailed me just the other day. He has two moms and he's starting to feel this kind of like a missing hole in his life here. And I think it, you know, it might be an association with a positive male, male role model. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, I'm, I love these two people more than anything in the world. And we're close. And I said, 
defined clothes. Right, right. And he said, well, he wasn't really sure. I said, well, you know, my definition of clothes is feeling safe yes. and comfortable yeah. about yeah. talking about what's going on with you. Right. And he said, oh, well, in that case, I guess we're not clothes. <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah. okay, well, you're the one who emailed me. Yeah. So I can tell you that you have a part in this. Yeah. <laughs> And maybe it'll take a slow, deep breath to just say, hey, mom, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling um, a little bit like I don't fit in anywhere. I want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And just could you say those two sentences? Right, right. <laughs> and start. Yeah. And I think also what he wouldn't realize is that if you grow up in a household with a mom and three sisters, right, and your parents get divorced, guess what? Same scenario, you're in a household with no male role model. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same sort of presentation. And I mean, that's his context, but his, his, his request is universal. Yeah. And I think that he may not even realize. And I think ultimately, the older you get, that's what you sort of realize is that, you know, these core needs are uh, really universal. So the way I used to tell teens, uh, is that, you know, Oh, don't flatter yourself. Like you've come up with the first unique <laughs> issue <laughs> in the world. Like you're good, but you're not that good. You know? So it's sort of, and that was my sneaky Pete way of normalizing them and then going, really? Other people have come to you and talk Oh, <laughs> just a couple. Exactly. Except for they had purple noses. <laughs> they had what? It was like going, Oh my God. Yeah. Save for HIPAA. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, before we wrap up, um, you, you do amazing work with teens and like me, you've got mostly a one shot deal. Parents who are the ones who are listening to this podcast have a, have years and, and, and they have this relationship that, that they hope they can continue to nurture beyond the teen years into the young adulthood and beyond. And so I would love it if you could give me just a few tips for the parents who are listening, who are saying, oh, my teen does not open up to me. I, I love what I hear Dr. O saying, and yet I don't really know how to work on this empathy thing. Um, I, I feel like I'm being empathetic with my son or daughter, and all I get is, you know, uh, I don't want to talk about it, mom. Yeah. yeah. First of all, never accept. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> don't and buy it. Don't play it. It's just absolutely don't accept it. Um, and, and, and the thing is though, but when you don't accept it, you have to be respectful about the way you barge in to not accept it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's also about respecting their space. And, you know, there are times when you don't want to talk about something. So, yeah. you know, absolutely there's a respect involved. And so just a simple right there, I don't want to talk about it. And then saying back, well, I can respect that you don't want to talk about it now. I absolutely want you to know that I love you enough that I am going to ask again. Okay. But I will hopefully come at a time where you will be willing to talk about it right there. Nobody's expecting that. <laughs> okay. So the wow. element of surprise is or surprise is already gone. What? Yeah. You're, you're, you're respectful of the fact that I might not want to talk about it now, which already sort of makes them go, Hmm. Maybe I do want to talk about it, you know? <laughs> don't leave. Exactly, don't leave. I changed my mind. <laughs> and then the other part is actually coming back and, and sort of saying again, you know, I was doing dishes downstairs and, you know, I absolutely can't get you off my mind. Like, I'm really worried about you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I'm here and um, I'm probably going to knock on the door again and I'll hope that you're more open to it at that point, you know? Um, 
And so that can, that kind of respectful re-knocking is so different from, oh, you betcha you you're going to talk about it right now, <laughs> you know, yeah. and really not being respectful of someone's space yeah. to process it on their own so that they actually know what it is they want to talk about, you know? So that's the first step in empathy is okay. actually being respectful. I like it. I think the second step in empathy is really not comparing, uh, it's sort of like a Holocaust versus slavery thing, you know, mm-hmm. where you say, well, it's not like you have a mortgage. It's not like you have cancer. It's not like, you, you know, what so, do you got to what, complain about? <laughs> what could be wrong? Like I emigrated to this country. I did it. You know, it's like, oh, please. You know, I can tell you that whatever is going on for your teen is as heavy as the mortgage, as all those other issues are, because to date, that is the heaviest thing they know. So that is heavy. So if you can put yourself in the mindset of, wow, this is what it would feel like for me if I found out that I might get laid off tomorrow, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of worry, that pacing where I don't know if I should tell my family. I don't want to tell my family. I don't want them to worry. Um, I don't want them to feel bad for me. I don't want them to pity me that I don't have a job and I don't have the self-esteem that comes with that. All of those things that would be going through your head, I want you to always substitute when your team tells you something as if it were that heavy, you know, because then what happens is you are automatically feeling your heart's racing, your palms are sweating. You understand what kind of stress they're going through, which will make you quiet (laughs) rather than really really, really, you know, and so, because they don't need that, that just, that's judgment and it shuts them down. Yeah. So those are two big things that if you can start there, they're going to talk. And then once they're talking, it's just a matter of nodding and saying, wow, that must've been hard. Mm -hmm. That must've really been scary. Just affirming words of the, of the feeling that they're describing Mm -hmm. that alone will help them keep talking. Yeah. And I would think the other thing might be some restraint that it is not necessarily your job to come up with all kinds of suggestions and advice unless they ask for your perspective. And even when they ask, don't give it. (laughs) Oh, they don't really want it. They don't want it. You know, you know, I, I really, cause I have teens ask me this all the time. Well, what do you think I should be on? You know, well, we're all different people (laughs) based on what you've heard so far. Tell me where you are. So just walk them through the problem-solving process. Mm -hmm. I think it's easier if you remember that there are problems they're going to have to solve without the confidence of having solved their own problem. They will be scared each time they have a problem to solve. That's Mm -hmm. why you don't want to offer that resolution. Also, if the resolution doesn't work perfectly for them, you're going to get blamed. There you go. (laughs) So what you want to do is you really just want to guide them to their answer Mm -hmm. and then praise them for having worked it out, you know, and if it doesn't work, then they go, then the answer is not, see, I could have told you, da, 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 da. It's not that the answer then is what did you learn? What did you learn? What did you learn? So that next time, if you're presented with a similar situation, what, what would work? That will not only help them come back to you in order to process more things, but that will really allow them to connect with you because they will absolutely feel heard. This yeah. is this is great. I love it. So empathy really starts with respect. Absolutely. And an open mind and an open heart on on both sides and that safety to yes. actually yes. to actually talk. Wonderful. Yes. Dr. O, this was so great. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much uh-huh. for the work that you do. Thank you. Um 
gosh, I think that if most teens had an opportunity when they were getting their ankle checked yes. to get some of this other stuff checked yes. too, yes. it it would be really, really helpful. So before we leave, um, could you just tell us where we could find out more about the work that you do? Yes, you can absolutely be inundated with the Teen Doc methodology at theteendoc.com. And so feel free to peruse and then call if you think I can help with something. Excellent. I'm sure you could help with many things. <laughs> Thanks a lot for your time and right. uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you again. So kind of you to have me on the show. I am a huge fan. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> Bye-bye. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. Available on Amazon, in print, and for Kindle. And tune in next week when my guest will be Sue Atkins, parenting expert and author of Parenting Made Easy, how to raise happy children. Until then, happy parenting. <music>